Hey, I don't know about you, but along my journey in life, I have asked the question, why am I here? Why am I here? That's the title of this series that we're going to go through in the book of Ephesians. And uh, Josh did such a great job last week of explaining that the basic reason why we're here is to glorify God. But what does that mean? What does that look like? And I think uh, a lot of people struggle with this question, and yet when I saw this video, I thought, I wonder if people are really asking the right questions and obviously not giving the right answer. So take a look at this video. What is your purpose in life? I don't think I have one. What is your purpose in life? Uh, I haven't figured that out yet. Have you ever thought about it before? Nope. You've never thought about it? Nope. Not at all. I haven't spent any time on it. You haven't spent any time thinking about what your purpose is in life? Not recently. Should I be? Will you tell me? It's your life. No, I haven't spent any time on that. I just go day to day. That's just it. What is your purpose in life? Uh, I really haven't put that much thought into it. Why not? Uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to have a good time. What is my purpose in life? You gotta give me time to think about that one. Get through it. Don't kill anybody. Just keep doing, doing until I get it over with. Just be happy. It's just to be happy. I think that I should have fun and uh, be happy. To um, to be happy and make my family happy and my boyfriend happy and just be happy. I don't really feel that I'm here to do anything in particular. I mean, it's not like I think that I'm destined to do something or be someone or something like that. I'm just kind of going through the routines, you know, as society's laid it all out for us. I feel like I have a purpose to help preserve, conserve uh, beauty of nature. Hopefully leave some sort of legacy. To contribute to the betterment of mankind. Tell me what your purpose in life is. Mm, go to work, go home, live. You gotta, you know, I got a purpose. Everybody got a purpose on earth, but I ain't found my purpose out yet. To live a long life and to be prosperous. What's my purpose in life? My purpose in life is uh, to be successful. To be successful and to lead a happy, fulfilling life. To provide well for my family. I want to be a really powerful uh, woman. Build my career built in financial area. Do you think that you have a purpose? Uh, not necessarily. I think purpose is just to do what you want to do. Go out and live life and have fun. Yeah, I think everybody has a purpose in life. And what would that purpose be for you? I'm not sure yet. What is your purpose in life? My purpose in life is basically to live the best life I can and to help others and be there for my friends and my family. How do you know that that's your purpose? Where does that come from? It comes from within my heart and my head. How do you know having fun is your purpose? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's just personal philosophy. Get it from what I think. That's it. How do I know this is my purpose? What kind of question is that? Boy, I think you got to start drinking before you talk about that, really. What is your purpose in life? Um, my purpose in life? Um, I, I am uh, deeply rooted in the uh, Christian faith, and uh, uh, my purpose would be to uh, glorify God and all that I do. Do you have a purpose in life? Uh, no. <laughs> have you ever thought about it before? I guess I've thought about it a little, but it scares me, so I don't. What do you mean it scares you? Um, I don't know. I just like to more concern myself with living day to day, having fun. And that's it? That's pretty much it. Uh, I mean, yeah, more or less, we're just going through the motions here, and, you know, you do what you, you feel like doing. I don't think there's anything really pushing or pulling us in any direction. And, uh, 
you know, it ends whenever your life ends. Well, it's a sad commentary on our culture, isn't it? What is our purpose in life? You know, uh, when you read the book Purpose Driven Life many years ago, Rick Warren said, number one, it's not about us, it's about God. And you didn't see a whole lot of that in those interviews, did you, that it's about God? Well, we're going to go on this journey in the book of Ephesians, and Paul writes this book from prison, when he was in prison in Rome. And he was really concerned about the Ephesian church. It was a Gentile church. They were faithful as believers. And yet, they were really struggling with the same things that we struggle with in our culture today. If you understand their old identity, and especially the identity of Ephesus, it reads a lot like our cities today. They were idol, there was idolatry, idol worshipers. There was illicit sex. There were foolish philosophies. Um, it was one of the, the churches that was really fighting the ingrown cultural values that Paul was trying to get them to think biblically rather than culturally when it came to their values. And so part of the reason why Paul wrote this letter is to get these people back to the basics of really understanding who they are in Christ and what is their purpose in life. And so this morning, the big idea, obviously, the big purpose in life beyond glorifying God, and part of that is to know him better. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1. And here's what I'd like for you to do this morning. I'd like you to, how many of you have been to a theater with the uh, three-dimensional glasses? You've you been there and done that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. And this morning, I want you to put on your spiritual three-dimensional glasses. Because what Paul's going to write about here in a minute are spiritual blessings. Now, we get the other kind of blessings, the material blessings, physical blessings. We get all that. But spiritual blessings, it's really hard for us to comprehend unless we look at it with spiritual eyes, that third dimension. So as I read this, try to absorb as much as you can. It's a chuck full chapter we're going to unpack here in a minute. But follow along with me. And if you're like me, sometimes when scripture's read, you just kind of blow through it. I'm going to try and slow down a little bit, read it. And I want you to just listen and comprehend what Paul's trying to say to these folks. Here's, because I think he's trying to say the same thing to us. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he goes into a list of what you have as benefits, which he calls spiritual blessings. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here they are. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Number one, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, third blessing, we have redemption through his blood, which we've been singing about this morning already, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And then verse 9, blessing number 4, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ. 
He goes on to say in verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him, next blessing, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he talks about the benefits, and now he shifts in saying, because of these benefits, this is what I pray for you, okay? Verse verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, not the eyes of your head, by the way, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe him. Next prayer, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all these things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow, that's a big chunk of scripture there that we need to unpack this morning. So fasten your seatbelts. We're going to try and pull that off. Here's the first benefit. He says, we were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Can we get that? That time passed in eternity. God saw each one of us individually and he said, I choose you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He looked at each one of us and said, I choose you. I want you to be a part of this thing called the family of God. I want you to be the adopted son. Can we say that this morning? He chose me. Say it together with me. He chose me. Me. Are you kidding me? He chose you. Are you kidding you? (laughs) He chose each one of us before the foundations of the world. Now, that's really hard to explain. Does that mean that God looked at some people that he didn't choose? I don't think so. But he chose us, he said, to be holy and blameless. But let me try to illustrate that because, friends, this has been discussed for thousands of years and nobody's figured this out yet because we have to reconcile somehow how God predestined and chose us with reconciling with, yet, but he still gave us a free will. How does that work? Well, I'm going to show you. No, I'm not. I'm going to do my best. I see God's chosen or his sovereign will or his choice as being the initiator of the opportunity for us to be totally transformed in Christ. So I make the parallel line at the top much stronger because it's all about God, really not about us. There is a role, however, that we play. And these two lines run parallel along life's journey. And at some point in time, God chooses us, but somewhere along the line, we need to respond to that choice. 
And when we do, something mysterious happens to where there is a connection of those two parallel lines. And it's a powerful thing called the born-again experience or a life-changing, transforming power that God does in our lives as we, by faith, accept God's choice and say, I want to be a part of your team. And then we go on this journey together with God. So it's kind of this picture that I draw here. I don't know. I don't understand. And I don't think anybody's ever been able to comprehend how these two intersect, but somehow they do. And, but God is the one who calls the shots. And yet we do have a role to play in our free will. So at some point when God said, I choose you, you have to make a decision. Every one of us has to be confronted with this decision to say, am I willing to be a part of God's choice? Am I willing to be a part of God's family? Do I want that in my life? I mean, this is the almighty God himself who is actually calling you saying, I want you. I choose you. I want you to be a part of this thing called God's family. And when you do, and when you accept that in your life, and you ask for forgiveness of the sins, and when those two parallel lines intersect, he says, you will then be holy and blameless in his sight. Does that blow your mind? That at that point, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life and you ask for forgiveness of his sins, everything is wiped clean, totally clean. And when God looks at us, he sees perfection. Now, does that mean we go on this journey and we stay perfect? No, but at that moment he does. And then the rest of our lives is this process of thing called sanctification as we grow in our spiritual life. But at that moment, we stand there completely perfect in God's sight, holy and blameless when we understand that it's Christ who paid the penalty for our sin. That's an incredible truth. Can you accept that? Do you realize that you've been chosen by God? That he pointed a finger at you personally and said, I want you. And yet people out there day in and day out are resisting his choice. I don't understand why. But here, and what's cool about this is when he does choose us and we do intersect with those two lines and we come to Christ, it doesn't matter what we've done. No matter what our past is like, it's wiped clean. We need to get that. We need to understand that. Here's the second benefit that Paul writes about. He says, in love, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. This, we're, this adoption thing is so critical because it's, it's a choice that he makes and he takes us into his family and it's an irrevocable inheritance that we get based upon Hebrew law. This adoption thing is really a big piece. There's a picture here that Jen found for me this week that I thought was really cool. This is actually a picture of a little boy who's being adopted by this family and he's running to his new family. And I just sense that, is that how we feel when we understand this object, uh, this idea of adoption that I, I, I'm so thrilled that somebody has finally said, I love you unconditionally. I want you to be a part of this family. I want to be a part of this family forever. I want you to feel significant and loved. I want you to know this new daddy that you've got and you run to him. Do we feel that sense in our own heart and soul about being adopted as sons and daughters? You know, why is that so important? I think number one is some of you had a lousy dad, a dad that just wasn't a part of your life. He wasn't, uh, was maybe even abusive. I don't know what your dad was like. I mean, there is no dad on earth that's perfect, right? But when you're adopted into God's family, you got a perfect daddy, right? You got a new daddy who loves you unconditionally that will never let you down, will never leave you nor forsake you. 
But we all have this inner need also to be belonged and, and, and to be accepted and to feel significant. And when we're adopted, when God makes that choice in love, he says he adopted us and predestined us that we have this all of a sudden this significance and this acceptance and this, this validity in our lives. Our, 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 our identity changes, if you will. We also have a great support system when we're a part of the family. We have each other to encourage and to love. And we have all the privilege, really, of being an heir of who? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's a cool family. Let's face it. We're a part of a royal family, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood that God has chosen. We are part of this incredible family. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. How cool is that? Here's the third benefit. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood in accordance to the riches of his grace. Justin already described grace. It's getting something that we don't deserve. Grace is a gift to us. We're going to talk more about that next week. But this word redemption is a little bit interesting because when you really study it, its word comes from a Greek word that talks about deliverance from a hostage situation that will ultimately end in torture or death. See, our destination before Christ was what? Death and hell, a torture, if you will. And so when Christ comes in, he rescues us from this terrorist group and we're no longer a hostage or being kidnapped by Satan and all of his tricks and deceptions. And so what, what we have here is an opportunity to really see how Christ came in and yanked us out just like, unfortunately, our friend Kayla Miller, who didn't get yanked out, but God yanked her out and took her home, praise God. But the point is, is that that's the picture that he's drawing here. He's saying, we were held hostage by a terrorist group. And Jesus came along, and by him demonstrating his sacrifice on the cross, redeemed us or got us out of that mess. And now we can be an adopted son. It's a powerful, powerful truth. And it says it's according to the riches of his grace. We didn't deserve that. I mean, we, we didn't deserve that. We didn't earn that. That was given to us freely by Jesus. It's an amazing, amazing truth. And it was by his shed blood that bought that redemption for us. That's benefit number three. Here's benefit number four. He says, he made known to us the mystery of his will in verse 9. Yeah, I, I see a little bit of a do, double bonus here because what it is, it's, it, what it means is I have this insight. Once I get my spiritual eyes on, once I, in essence, cross those two parallel lines and, and we make this commitment, all of a sudden our eyes are open and we were spiritually dead and now we're spiritually alive and now we have this new insight into God's plan for people and for the universe. And so we start to understand a whole lot more about the big picture that God is orchestrating and that someday he's going to return, he's going to come back and he's going to reign in this earth. Look forward to that day. Even so, Lord, come quickly, amen? And so that's a part of his plan, but we also can begin to see the mystery of the gospel of Christ and how it transforms and changes people's lives. All of a sudden, our eyes are opened. We're no longer spiritually dead and we understand a little bit more about why we're here on earth and what's life all about and where are we headed and what does God want us to do. That's all a part of getting our spiritual eyes open. And until we do that, we don't really understand. It's a little mysterious. It doesn't really all add up. But when you get your eyes open, wow, all of a sudden it makes sense. Number five, benefit he writes about. And I left a scripture out there because I, I want to see this because 
one of the things that we have is when we accept Christ, we actually receive the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And here's what God says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 16. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. They don't have their spiritual eyes on him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. So what we have, we've been given spiritual eyes through the presence of the Holy Spirit who is our counselor and who is inside us, who gives us greater insight into truth and to what's really right based upon him being our counselor and biblical truth. So we have this insight, this this perspective about life and about the future. Here's benefit number five then. We were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. I love this concept because this word seal is really an interesting word. What it really says here is that it marks someone for security and for destination. That's the the Greek meaning here of this word seal. It means for today's security and also future destination. It's like this good housekeeping seal of approval. So when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside you and he marks you with a seal. Now, the best way I could describe that, you all familiar with this concept of love locks? I didn't know anything about it until I read about it this past week. Do you know what love locks are? Well, let me show you a picture. These are padlocks that are put on a bridge in Paris of couples who have wanted to make known by putting their initials on these padlocks that they are forever locked together in love. And so they take these padlocks and they put their initials on them and they hang them on bridges and walls all over the world. And I thought, this is what a great concept it could be because we have a padlock that has the initials HS on it, right? And what's really fascinating here, there are so many padlocks on this bridge in Paris that it's, it's, it's compromising the integrity of the bridge. And, and they've actually put a ban on it and they're going to take all these padlocks off because the bridge can't hold up under the weight of all these padlocks. Praise God, we have a bridge that holds up under all the weight of our sin, right? And that padlock is the Holy Spirit that seals us, not only for today's security, but forever as our destination in heaven. Is that cool? I think it is. I think it's pretty awesome. And when you have a legitimate transforming moment in your life where you come to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in and you cannot revoke that. It's sealed, not only today, but forever. This is really good stuff, folks. See, what Paul does when he writes, every time he writes a letter to another church, he always starts out with these simple, basic deep theological truths because he wants them to get it. And friend, I don't know if we get it sometimes. We're so much about our head and so much about material blessing that we forget. This is incredible what God's done for us. And so many times we think about, oh yeah, Christianity is all about being a disciple and you've got to take up your cross and follow him and it's such a sacrificial life and we're going against the grain of culture and society. It's just tough out there. And you say, wait a minute, time out. What are the benefits? This is incredible. I hope, and my prayer has been this week, that we would see this with spiritual eyes and have a new sense of worth and value in knowing Jesus. That's what it's all about.
So let me transfer now over here to Paul's prayer. So because of all of these benefits, Paul says, I need to pray for you guys because this is really critical. And this would be my prayer for you today at Cornerstone. So we start out and Paul says this, his first part of his prayer says, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you know him better. That's the key point today in what it means to really have a purpose in life. It's to glorify God by, number one, knowing him better. Have you been on a journey to get to know God better in your life? No, I didn't say get to know about God. I mean, that's a part of it because a lot of you know about God. I mean, you've studied the scriptures, you've been in Bible studies, you've been to church. But you know, we talk about in Christianity today that it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And some days I really wonder, is it really about a relationship? You see, when Jesus wrote in, in, in Revelation where he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wasn't talking to unbelievers, he was talking to you. And he said, behold, I stand at your door and I knock. And if you listen to my voice, I will enter into you and I want to have some fellowship. I want to have a deep relationship with you. So are you willing to open the door or not? And see, getting to know somebody is is just like getting to know anybody in life, is that you spend time with them, you talk, you listen, you have a relationship, you hang out with them, you maybe have some special times together, because it's all about developing intimacy. And I'm wondering how intimate we are. You see, we're so good in our culture today about compartmentalizing our spirituality. So we start the morning, we say, oh yeah, I had my devotions today. Cool, you're really spiritual. But do you take Jesus into the workplace? Do you take devotions into your family life? Do you take, you see what I'm going with this? There's this integrated piece of relationship that we often miss in in Christianity today because we're so busy compartmentalizing our lifestyles that we forget that this is a relationship. It's a synergy. It's it's this, this integration that goes on day in and day out, practicing his presence, knowing that he's with us and we can zing one up and he can zing one down. And we just constantly are having this relationship all day long. It's been really fun for me in the last number of years in my life is to be able to just have this conversation with the Lord and I speak to him and sometimes he speaks to me and he talks to me and we have this conversation and this dialogue. It's all about a relationship and the bottom line is if we don't know him better, we're missing out on why we're here because someday we're going to meet him face to face, right? And it's going to be interesting when we meet him face to face and Jesus looks at us and says, you know, I remember a couple of days when you uh, had devotions. That was, that was really nice. But, you know, um, you know, other than that, I really haven't had much time that you've given to me. You, you know where I'm going with that? I mean, I mean, someday, I mean, wouldn't it be cool that we could be like the little boy? And when we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, we can just run up to him and he can put his arms around us and we can grab a hold of him and say, oh, Jesus, it's so cool. I've been talking to you and having this so neat relationship. It's so good to see you in the flesh. This is awesome. This is great. See, Paul prays that, look, guys, you've got all these benefits, but do you know him? Have you really got it? And then he says this in his prayer. He says, he prays that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you know the hope that awaits you. Yesterday, I went down to see a good friend of mine. I got a call Thursday night that Ted had had a ventricular storm. 
And what that meant was there were four parts of his lower part of his heart that were firing inconsistently and he was having all these defibrillation problems and his defibrillator went off over 211 times. He, he had made it to the hospital and the doctors tried to do an ablation and get into his heart and short circuit some of those things, but they couldn't pull it off. And so... Ted's a good friend of mine. He's an elder in our church. He's been there for 20 years. He's been so loyal and faithful brother in my life. I went down to Phoenix yesterday to see him. And he was pretty sedated. He couldn't hardly, he couldn't talk. He had a respirator. And I was talking to Ted a little bit. And I was talking to Carrie, his wife, and his daughter, Bethany, were there. And I said to Carrie, I said, you know, it's, this is really a hard time. Because when you see Ted laying there, you realize that we all are struggling with our own mortality. And, and, and right now, Carrie, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do we really believe that when Ted takes his last breath, that he will be in glory with Jesus? Do we really believe that? See, that's what Paul's praying. He said, do you really understand what you got for a hope? This is incredible. It was really cool. Uh, uh, Ted passed away five hours later. And uh, <clears throat> it gets a little emotional for me, but... Um, but Ted's mom passed away the day before and he didn't know it. And I thought, how cool is that? He's going to get to heaven. He said, Mom, what are you doing here? You know? And Mom's going to say, Ted, what are you doing here? What happened? Here they die 24 hours apart and they get to be in heaven together. What a family reunion. Is that awesome or what? But... You know, I, I wrestled with that in my own life. I, I remember eight years ago when I had four stints to take care of six blockages in my arteries. And, and my wife told me after I came out of surgery, uh, the angioplasty, she said, you know, honey, you don't know this, but you had a clot that was ready to break off and go straight to your heart. You would have died within a, within a few minutes. And it really made me stop and think, do I really believe this? That if I would take my last breath here on earth, that I would be in heaven? And contrary to what everybody thinks, everybody thinks that when you die, you go to a better place. Uh Uh-uh, that ain't what the Bible says, right? But I felt like, you know what? I think I'm okay. I think I'm ready. In fact, it would be really cool someday to be preaching and drop dead of a stroke and I'd be in heaven, you know. But I tell you, I'm sorry about that. But but this is really an important truth that we've got to grab a hold of, folks. We've got to get it. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Do you realize what you get when you come to Christ? You never die. You go straight from this life to a better life. Amen? You got it? Sorry, I get a little passionate about that. Here's number three. He prays the third thing. He says, I pray that people will experience the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. Wow. And I thought, you know, I live in America. Do we really experience this, quote, resurrection power of the Holy Spirit? You know, I mean, does it have to be all these miracles and signs and wonders and all these things? I mean, what's this deal about the power of the Holy Spirit? And so I began to think that through. And I thought, you know, I sense that there's maybe four kinds of ways that there's this defensive, uh, this power of the Holy Spirit. And one of them I thought was defensive power. 
We, I mean, we live, uh, we're going to look at that next week, and we're going to see it in Ephesians 6, that, that the Satan is alive and well, and he connects to the world system very, very well, and he connects it with our flesh, and we have all these allies out there fighting against this new life that we're trying to live in Christ. And so, but John addresses it by saying, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we have this defensive power that's at work, and we not may, maybe don't totally experience it, but friend... You know there's a battle going on, and and the battle is already won. We have this defensive power that's already at work in our lives. And we may not always feel it, but it's there. Count on it. Here's a second thought. There's this idea of sustaining power. You know, it's it's the power that Paul talks about when he was struggling with this thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where he says, His power is made perfect, perfect in his weakness. And he says, My grace is sufficient for you. I got a text from Carrie last night after Ted passed away, and I said, Carrie, I'm so excited for Ted. I'm really envious of Ted, but I also know that God is going to help you and encourage you, and she wrote back, she says, yes, his grace is sufficient for me. She was experiencing sustaining power. Have you experienced that in your life? When you're struggling, when you've got issues going on in your life and somehow you get through it, do you know that that's the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit in your life where his grace has become sufficient for you when power is perfected in your weakness? Yeah, that's his power, that same power. And then there's this resurrection power and the power to bring life to something that's dead. Have you experienced resurrection power? Yes! If... Did you come to Jesus Christ? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. There's this metamorphosis to change in your life. That is resurrection power. Why? Because you were dead. Right? It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, which we're going to do next week, so hang in there with me. But it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were dead and he made you alive. You've experienced resurrection power. Really? Yeah, you have. That's the Holy Spirit, friend. He's the one that regenerated your life. He's the one that took your dead spirit and made it alive. He's the one that's counseling you and encouraging you from the inside out. And then there's the fourth thing I thought of. There's this convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't like that part. That's sort of the nasty part of the Holy Spirit because he says in, 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 that he's, in John 16, 8, he's, he's convicts the world of its sin. And when you're feeling guilty about stuff and something's going on in your life, guess what? You're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit because he's the power of the one that convicts and makes you feel sometimes what you should be feeling and you need to confess that and ask God for forgiveness. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. There's certain other ways that he manifests, but I just thought, you know, we do experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We just don't think about it. We don't realize sometimes what God is trying to do in our lives, that he's alive and well and he's living inside us. Well, I get pretty passionate about this stuff, so let me just close by asking you some questions, which I always do, right? Here's the first one. How much do you cherish and comprehend the benefits of being a Christian today. Did did you get that? The five things that Paul wrote about? 
Does it really sink in? Does it really become about a part of your inner makeup where you sense there's an identity here, that there, there's this significance here, there's this love that's been given to us, there's this adoption, there's this security, there's all these things that the Holy Spirit and what God has done in our lives. Do we really understand that? Do we really grab a hold of that and say, thank God for that? Here's another question that I have for you this morning. How well do you know Jesus? Because knowing Jesus, getting to know him, is one of the greatest purposes in our life to get to know somebody that I'm going to meet face to face today who's my judge, but my lover and my brother and the person that died for me. How well do you know him? What is your level of intimacy with Jesus this morning? Are you those, one of those people that are compartmentalizing your relationship to God and, and so you, you have a five minute time with the Lord here and you come to church on Sunday but there's no sense of really intimacy and, and relational expression and love interchange where you're listening and talking and having these conversations and you just understand and know his presence in your life and you get to know him day in and day out and the more you know him the better you love him that's the question that I have for you here's the third one how convinced are you of your eternal hope? Is heaven a reality for you? We could, we could go back in the book of Revelation and look at heaven someday, but heaven's a great place, folks. I got to tell you. I mean, just think about it. I'm so envious of Ted right now, doggone it. I mean, I wanted to tell him, you lucky dog, because one, you know, you're, you're laying here in this bed, and I, I said it on the way out the door, I said, Ted, you going, you know what, you're going home either way here, you're either going home or you're going home, right, is that a reality for you, do you know if you took your last breath, you would be in heaven with Jesus, that's a hard question to respond to. For some of you, maybe you don't know that. We're going to talk to you next week how to know that a little bit better. So I'm going to bait you to come back next week, okay? Here's the fourth question. Are you experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? In what ways? Is the fruit of the Spirit being manifested? Are you using your gifts? Is there this sustaining power, this convicting power, this resurrection power? Has, has he brought life to situations that you thought were absolutely beyond hope? You see, we are here and Paul's prayer is, and my prayer for you and for me, is that we would all have a better understanding and experience of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. Because he's there. And it's the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. I mean, you talk about power... That's incredible. Frankly, if you had enough power to change your life, that's a lot of power, right? Because if you can change your life, that's pretty, pretty cool. Why am I here? The big thought today, to know him better. That's why Paul went back to the basics. He said, you guys, do you know this? Do you know this? What, do you know what Jesus did for you? Do you know this? And, and you, uh, my prayer is that you would then, because of this, know him better. And that's my prayer for you today. That because of this morning's message, that you would know him better and want to know him better. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this book of Ephesians is so right on. 
And I'm so excited to be able to go through this together with these folks. God, I'm learning things, and I trust that each one in this room is learning things. But more than that, God, that we're not just learning in our heads, but our hearts are being touched. That there's this movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives that that just we can't even explain sometimes. But folks, but God, I, I pray that same prayer that Paul prays for this church, that these people are sitting here, that they would know you that they would have a realistic hope and that they would experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. What a neat prayer. And so, God, I pray that for me and for everyone that's sitting here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.